Now, part two of a two-part message. The full message is available online at harvestchapeltrico.com. Now, let's listen in to part two. 3420 of Ezekiel. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep, because you have pushed with, you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns, and scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David... He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, the Father, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince, a king among them. I, the Lord, the Father, have spoken. Listen, David, it's speaking of his genealogy, the tribe of Judah, the king of Israel, where a king would come from his loins. It was the promise God made in 1 Samuel. That's what he's saying, through my servant David. That's where Jesus comes from. It's really, David means beloved, and it's really Jesus the Christ is what he's saying, his inheritance. I will make a covenant of peace with them, Romans 5, 1, and cause wild beasts to cease from the land. How does he do that? He makes them to lie down together. There's no more of this. This is millennial kingdom he's speaking of now. And they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods because there's nothing to harm them anymore. When you get to Revelation, what is it, Revelation 21, there's no door on the city anymore. On Jerusalem, the mother, there's no door on the city anymore. Why? Because there's no more enemy. Jesus doesn't need to lay down there anymore. He's seated on the throne, being worshipped. There's no enemy to come in anymore. Because it'll be over. I will make them and all the places all around my hill a blessing, and I will cause showers to come down in their season, and there shall be showers of blessing. Then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield her increase. It sounds like the Garden of Eden. They shall be safe in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bands of their yoke, their bondage, and delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. Bondage. They shall no longer be a prey for the nations, nor government, nor shall beast of the land devour them but they shall dwell safely and no one shall make them afraid fear how the devil tries to lead you fear god or fear the devil fear god or fear something that's physical only two roads fear god or fear something that's physical no longer shall they make them afraid i will raise up for them a garden of renown And they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land, nor bear the shame of the Gentiles anymore. Thus they shall know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and and the house of Israel are my people, says the Lord. You are my flock, the flock of my pastor. You are men, and I am your God, says the Lord. Wow. Powerful. Let's go back. The nation of Israel should have known it. The church should know it. We have the Word of God. We can spend time in the Word of God. We spend a lot of time in places, in things, in areas, letting other things shepherd us instead of the Word of God. Shepherd our hearts because it's the heart that matters most. It's the heart that goes astray. And we all go astray. Listen, 
We're sheep. Sheep are dumb. They step around the back of the barn and they go, bah. This is not a self-esteem gospel. This is a death-esteem gospel and only a Christ-esteem alive. We are dead to self, crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All about him, nothing about me. And here's going to be the example as we see this in John chapter 10, verse 11. Ego of me, I am the good shepherd. The beautiful shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd is also used in this word. Jesus, again, telling them that he is that shepherd, the great I am. He's claiming to be God. And, you, and when we get over there, we're not there today. But when you get to verse 33, they clearly say to him again, you're making yourself out to be God. I mean, you can see by the conversation what Jesus' intent is in his words. In 33, they say, you being a man, make yourself God. He is. He's 100% man, 100% God. Don't miss when I break this down into small chunks so we can eat and look at it and have commentary from the rest of the Bible about God doing what he already said he was going to do because he's always going to keep his promises. Don't miss the entire context because we want to see that they, they, they do not like him because he's claiming to be the good shepherd. He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be their provision. And they have to stop and they have to change and they have to turn and they have to make a choice here to say we were wrong. We're in sin. We've made up our own legalistic system and we want to turn from it and turn to you, God. We want to turn to the good shepherd. If you keep following what you've always followed, you're saying no to God instead of, I want to know you, God. Keep watching. So the good shepherd, what does he do? Here's the first thing he does. He gives his life for the sheep. Now think about this because he's going to contrast it with a hireling who will not give his life for the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And then he gives the reason a hireling flees, because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. But God loves the sheep. This is the purpose he was born, to come and die for the sheep, to lay his life down for the sheep. Now let's get a, a, some context. Remember last week we talked about how here in the West, we drive, we force, we drive sheep. We push them on and on. In the East, they go before. They lead sheep. They go out and find. They, they meet the enemy first. See, our enemy was death. Jesus meets the enemy first. He's the good shepherd. He goes and beats the grave, has victory over the grave. He gets up again and he comes and says, look, here I am. See my nail prints. And he says, if you believe in me, you can follow me. I'll put my spirit in you to lead you in and out to find green pastures. You'll, you'll know truth from a lie. And so he goes before us. We don't get that over here in this land. And so here's what happens is that we had the city sheepfold last week, and I told you that we have what's called wilderness sheepfolds. As the season gets later and later in the east, 
anywhere we can understand this. They would have to go further and further away from the safety of a city and the city sheepfolds where they would leave their sheep at night. And so they would get so far out late in the season where they got to find good grass. Listen, we're there. You have to go so far to find good teaching, to find good grass, to find good bread, because there's a bunch of teachers out there that all they're doing, they're hirelings. They're looking at their career. They're looking not at a calling by God, but they've been trained by this world to have a career. All they're worried about is what they're buying. They're $10,000 suits. They're worried about their church, their book, their car, their family. They're worried about their stuff. See, Jesus didn't have to do that. He already owned everything. He already had all authority. He already knew everything. He was God, very God with us. And it said the son of man, or excuse me, uh, uh, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't have to take care of none of that stuff. He knew what his purpose was. For this purpose, he came to be the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This is so important that the church gets this, that I get this, that we get this. We are the church if we believe in Jesus. So the further you would go out into the fields, into the wilderness, looking for good grass, looking for a good water, looking for a place that hasn't been trampled down by some other shepherd that was a false shepherd or a hireling, the good shepherd would take him out and then he would find someplace. He'd have to find a cave. He'd have to find some rocks. He'd have to pull some logs together and make a makeshift sheep pen. You know, that's why we meet in a warehouse. We meet in a building. This is the same type of thing. It's a little sheep pen where we're being taken care of. We're learning so we can go out and tell others. But the shepherd would do that. And he would go out and he would take them and they had to go further. And now they got to stay there and it's night. It's too far to get back to the city. This is not our home, people. If you've been following Jesus, it's too late to go back to the city. We're looking for a city not made with a hand. It's got a foundations made by God. A heavenly city, the same way that Abraham was. And so we get out into the wilderness and we have to trust God. And that's what these sheep would have to do. They would have this makeshift sheepfold to protect them. And the shepherd would, would, would lead them in. He's in front. He'd put his rod down, which was for correction. It was for direction. It was for reproof. It was for checking them for wounds. He would make sure they were okay and there was nothing wrong with them as they came in through the door. And he would count them as they came in to make sure they were all there. And none were lost except for the son of perdition, Judas Iscariot. And then he would lay down in front of that door. Same way the city fold, there was a hireling in there. But listen to me, there was a porter in there. But in the wilderness, there's far more danger. Far more ways for these sheep to be attacked and to hurt. And the shepherd would lay down in the only way that the wolves, the enemy could get in was to come through the shepherd. To come through him. So if you're not following the good shepherd and you have a hireling, somebody who's just worried about their career, they're not going to speak the truth. And so when the wolf comes, they're going to let them straight into you. They're going to let them bite and devour you. They're going to let them teach you some lies, some deception. 
And not only that, they're going to teach you lies and deception. That's what, a, that's what somebody who's after a career does. You see, our whole world has become career-minded instead of calling by God-minded. We send them to cemeteries or seminaries, and we teach them lies, and they come back and they teach everybody about CRT and about every lie that you can imagine instead of teaching them the truth of the Word of God teaching them to have a relationship with God, teaching them to get into the Word of God, teaching them to graze in green pastures. Even a pastor that's trying to do the right thing can be wrong because we're not perfect. We have clay feet, and you need to be a Berean searching the Scriptures daily to find out if what I'm saying is true because I can mess up a bunch. I'm not meaning to if I do. I'm not planning to like a hireling will. Let me see, I need to do this message this week because my boat needs to be shined up and I need a new coat. So I'm gonna, this week, I'm going to get this to tithing. I'm going to, too. Watch me. I'll get it there here in a minute. But God's not broke. God's not broke. Never has been. He owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. Are you following a hireling? You know, it's, it's interesting, because I, I, I was going to go teach at a church. I was teaching at a church in Lafayette and was going to go become their pastor and got the counsel not to become a hireling. See, a hireling is told what to do by a board. A hireling, in many cases, many churches, they're handed their sermons when they come through the door. And you have to stay online with these notes and these sermons. You can't just read the scriptures and teach. But we happen to live underneath what we call the Moses leadership style. Many churches hate it. Many churches will speak against it. But really, God gives a man a vision for a city and calls him out. And he begins to teach the word of God wherever he can find people that will sit down and listen. And he just begins to share the word of God and tell them to come and eat and to come to Jesus and to live for God. And that's all we're really doing. But a hireling, see, he's going to be given a script. He's going to be given an office. He's going to be doing things, and he has to protect his life, his own family. You know, my wife tells me, don't get a new job. She always tells me, don't get a new job. Because every job that I've had since I've gotten saved, I made less money. Never take a job because of how much money is offered. If you are living for God, it's not about the money now. It's about the calling. It's about being where God calls you to be so you can be a witness to the people he's called you to be. Now, I always work back up to the same level, but I had to take, it's always jobs that look like, well, you know what? If, you, if it made sense, this wouldn't work. If it made sense, I wouldn't go. If it made sense, I, I, you, know, you don't give up all your benefits. You don't give up a great paycheck and then go someplace that has no benefits and says, we're living by faith. We don't know if we can pay you next week. But when you're living for God, you pray about it. And if God calls you, you go. And he's the one that supplies. That's how we feel like this church has existed for 15 years. Because God called us. Nobody's sending us money. Nobody's pr promoting us other than praying for us. Because where God guides, he always provides. Very simple truth. And so don't get caught up in careers careers can lead you to the pit of hell i don't care where you're at if you've been caught up repent if you've been caught up in it repent 
and ask God to be the shepherd of your heart, not the career. Because now you make decisions based on your career. You make decisions based upon money and peers and not based upon Christ. So be careful. If you go to a church and you're listening to my voice and he's a hireling, be careful. That was my counsel. Don't go there. It's a bee's nest. You go to a place that needs a pastor and it's a hireling and they want to tell you what to do. As soon as you disrupt one person that's on the board, now you got troubles. Now you get a bee's nest swarming. That's why I always tell people, go start a church. Go start a Bible study. If you get it, go. If you get it, go. The ones that stay in the sheepfold don't get it. It's that simple. Sorry. We're not trying to make a big mega church here. We're not even looking for numbers. We're just looking for people that will go. That's why I'm leading praise. Our praise team went. That's why every time I had a Bible study, my praise leader would leave. I'd say, go. Go teach a Bible study if you're getting it. Trust the Lord. You're called to go. We're all told to go. We're not told to stick around in Jerusalem and just all have a holy huddle and sit there where we're safe at and watch the back door. We're called to go out by faith and tell other people and find the lost sheep because that's what we're doing now. The good shepherd came. He led us out, and he wants us to go tell others and lead them out. He's the example. He's the typos. Sorry, I'm a little excited this morning. Just a little bit excited. So, the hireling. Hireling's in it for the money. He's not in it because he cares about the sheep. Have you, have you ever seen the denominational churches? I'm not picking on God's bride or any true church. Or, or I'm saying there's systems that lead people away from God. Denominational churches, a lot of time will remove the pastor every three to five years and put in another one and rotate him to some other state when you have a presbytery. And when the number one thing about the gospel is relationships, you don't yank out the shepherd whom they're trying to learn to trust in and watch his life and see the typos. You don't pull them out. You want them to be grounded there and to feel comfortable there and to rest there and lay their life down there. One of the biggest things I hate about being down here and, and our life changing is having people in our home. For nine years, we led a Bible study where people were in our house every Friday night. And they could see how we lived and see our example even then. And we haven't been able to get back to that around here. My wife being sick, I could tell you a million things. Me working full time, up there I work for the church full time. I could come home at 3 o'clock and clean the house till 5 so that my wife would feel like we could present the house to people. I can't do that now. But I love it when people come to our house. But you know what? I haven't been able to take care of my house. And I sometimes feel like uh, uh, I'm a bad steward of it. Walk my property. You'll go, man, that needs fixed. That needs fixed. That needs fixed. That's broken. That's broken. That's broken. But the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Anyway, let me get back on, to on topic here. On task, as they say. The hireling. Are you following a hireling? 
Hirelings are dangerous, people. I'm just telling you. You need to understand the difference. They're only in it for themselves. All the cult leaders, all the apostate teachers, listen, they're getting rich. They're writing books. They're telling lies. They're lifting up themselves instead of lifting up Jesus. They're not in the pulpit of their own churches a lot of times, protecting the sheep. Oh, we got other shepherds. They can do that. We got other shepherds. No, you're an under shepherd. No, you're called to be faithful. You're called to take care of that flock. I don't like letting anybody in my pulpit. Of course, we're known as the church that won't give anybody anything either. You see, I, I, I'm not bragging about that. You know how hard it is to say, okay, we're going to start a church but we're not going to do what everybody else is doing because most people are apostate. We're going to try to teach the Bible. We're not just going to do it because everybody else is doing it. The, the, the typos that they're following is not the typos of Christ. It's a typos of a, of a worldly gospel that's apostate, that's far away from the sheepfold, and all it's doing is trying to promote their own name. And that's not emphatic, but that's most. And the Bible clearly tells us that the falling away from the faith has to happen before the son of lawlessness appears. And he's getting ready to appear. But you know who comes first? The chief shepherd. He comes and gets us first. He protects his sheep. He's already laid himself down. He became the door. He's not going to let the wolf get to us at the end of the age and go, Oh, look, they're devouring them. I should have went and got them. Doesn't make any sense to me. Father's going to say, go get your bride. Go get your betrothed. And those that are ready will have oil. They'll be led by the Holy Spirit. They'll have oil in their lamp because they're shining their light. And there'll be evidence of it. But a hireling, when he sees the wolf coming, you know, it's really interesting the word wolf, I haven't even got to that, have I? Let's look at the word wolf. The word wolf means from whitish hair. <laughs> whitish hair, not gray hair. Whitish hair, cruel, greedy, destructive men with destructive doctrines. Whitish hair. That's what the wolf is. That's really weird. It's always, it's the enemy though. But what does the good shepherd do? He gives his life. Now it's very difficult because we're talking about Jesus who actually came, laid down his life as the Lamb of God. He gave his life. That's what he was called for. But he's our example, and that's what we're supposed to be doing, giving our life and letting him live through us. 13 says, the hireling flees because he is a hireling. No other reason. He's a hireling. And does not care. Care is to be of interest to, concerned He's only concerned about himself, about his career, about how it's going to affect him. How do I get up the rung of my ladder? 
He doesn't care about the sheep, the forward-walking people. Remember, David was our example last week. He fought. He went out. He, he was risking and willing to lay down his life, but he trusted God. How do we know that? Because he said, when I was tending sheep, a bear came, a lion came. I struck them down because of God. I'm giving you, I think it's 1 Samuel 17, just a paraphrase. And he said, I'll do the same to this uncircumcised Philistine. By the power of God, he's going out in faith. It's a walk of faith. And then verse 15, look what it says. And here's the, here's the whole point. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. What? What's he saying? See, look at the word no. As the fathers know me, even so I know him. There's a relationship where they know each other. And that's the reason he lays down his life for the sheep. Because the father sent him to lay down his life. And he wants to fulfill his calling, his anointing. And the word know, again, is the gnosko. The word know is gnosko that we've been looking at. It means to learn, to come to know, to have knowledge, to understand, to know by experience and by relationship. And because they know each other, they're one in the Godhead. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, I love this, and you might need to be uh, looking it up. The word gives his life in verse 11. The word lay down here. They both are the word uh, tithemi. And I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but it has as a root, it says tithe am I. Listen, tithe am I, because tithe is an offering. I told you I worked tithing then. It just happens to be in the text like six times. Every time it says give, every time it says lay down, it's a tithe. Jesus is giving his life as an offering, as a living sacrifice. He dies. He gives it as a tithemy, where he, he's, he's, he's an offering, he's a sacrifice, he's committed, he's been ordained, he's kneeling down, he's setting forth, and he gives his life. And that means his breath of life. The same way that God in the beginning as in creation in Genesis 2 made man out of dirt and breathed into his lungs the breath of life. Jesus comes and lays down his breath so you and I can breathe the air from heaven again and be married back in with our kinsman redeemer. He gave his very life as an offering to the Father and it actually means an act of worship. It's an act of worship. To place my life on an altar, to bow down, it means to prostrate. Prostrate. I told you I could mess up. To bow down, to lay down and worship. It's the same word as give in chapter or verse 11. And it's because of the relationship that he has with the Father, for the calling that he knows what he's supposed to do, that he gives his life an offering for many. 
And he's telling this, listen, he's speaking to the ruling authorities who have kicked a man out and claiming to be God right in front of them, claiming to be the Messiah. Verse 33 tells us they know what he's claiming. 16, then he says, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. It's actually the word flock. Of this flock. This, it's actually, they had, a, they had folds or flocks or places where they kept animals like we still do today. Uh, little halls or little open things in their yard. And it's just a place to keep animals. Them also I must, I must needs bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Notice how they come. Notice how they come. Listen, I have other sheep. They hear my voice. No other way to come to Jesus. When you hear his voice, well, what's his voice? It's the voice of truth. Well, how do they hear it? From a witness that shares the voice of truth, the word of God with somebody, that there's a, there's a Savior who came and laid his life down for them, and that he loves them. He's not wanting them to perish. And you go and you tell as a witness this to them, and then the Spirit of God quickens it to their heart, and they hear his voice, and they come. He calls them, they come. Or they say no to God, or they come to know God. One or the other. N-O or K-N-O-W. And then there would be one flock and one shepherd. The church, the ecclesia, the called out ones that have been called out from this world, called to a place, where? To one shepherd, to follow him. How do they do that? My sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. How do they do that? As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. And the Spirit is always going to lead you to Jesus, always lead you in the Word of God, always lead you to truth so that you can graze on truth and tell others about truth and be a living sacrifice in front of That's what He's asking us to do is to follow His example. He laid down his life. And then Paul said to the church in Rome where he wanted to have fruit for them. He wanted them to learn to obey God and follow God. And he said, I beseech you, I urge you, I plead with you, therefore, brethren, considering the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed. Don't become like the image of this world following careers, following liars, following what they're doing. Listen, here you want to know a plumb line? Listen, if the world is doing it, you can pretty much know that it's not God. It's that simple. They're going the opposite way really fast than where God is going. Oh, but they're doing this. They're feeding people too, Greg. Just Listen, they're going the opposite way really fast. And it's easy to be conformed to goodness. It's easy to be conformed to niceness. It's easy to be conformed to some false teaching of love that has nothing to do with godliness. See, godliness with contentment is great gain. And we didn't bring anything into this world, and it is for sure that we will take nothing out of it except souls. Never see 
a U-Haul hooked up to the back of a hearse. You're never going to see it. Never going to see it. They hear his voice. Isn't it great if you're in the dark and you hear a voice that can lead you out and you can follow that voice? You don't have to walk in darkness anymore. You don't have to be blind anymore. He says, no one, verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I, to the me, I offer it, I lay it down of myself. I have power to, to the me, lay it down, to give it, and I have power to take it again. This command I received from my Father. Now listen to me, because this is very clear. Because you and I, we have a choice. We can choose to lay it down, to follow the good shepherd, or we can choose to keep following the hireling, following a stranger's voice, following something that leads to death. Or we can choose, as he has chosen, to lay it down, to become an offering, to become a sacrifice, to be concerned with the ministry of reconciliation of souls, to reach out to others. While we do the natural as a witness, that means to, to, to have a job. That means, because if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. That means to do the natural things that everybody else is doing, but we have a different shepherd leading us because we belong to a different flock. And we're eating from a different place. And we're looking for a different reward. It's not about toys. Children chase toys. So many people argue and say, Rome killed Jesus. No, it was those Christians saying, crucify him. Jesus laid his down, down his life. Nobody took his life. Nobody walked up to Jesus, the God of, uh, of the heaven and the earth, the creator with all the power coursing through his body and arrested him without him letting them do it. Remember when they came in the garden and they go, uh, we're looking for Jesus. He said, I am. And they all fell down. That's how much power he had. You would think they'd have been smart enough to get up and run off. But spiritual blindness and spiritual delusion is, is allowed by God. If you sow to a lie long enough, you'll reap the lie. If you sow truth long enough, you'll reap the truth. But it's your choice. You have the power to take it up or lay it down. God gave it to you. God granted it to you. He granted you free will. And there's shepherds again, as we talked earlier. That are called. Now, let's look before I close up here. And about my, this is the first of my 13 closings. First of my 13 closings. I want to go over and look at uh, just whew, a little bit deeper here for a minute. What did I do? For therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life. That's verse 17. No one takes it from me. He freely gave it. Look at, first of all, let's look at John 14. Just a couple pages over, 1423. And again, like I said, I get a little bit ahead of myself because I know what the text says. Um, Jesus says, it's because the Father loves me, he lays down his life. Now look what it says in 1423. It's one of our memory verses. You might know it. 
Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Guard it, protect it. And what happens then? My father will love him. Therefore, remember, verse 17, therefore my father loves me. Listen, when you begin to keep and guard and protect and understand that it's the word that has been sent to heal the land and to heal your soul and to save you and lead you out, when you begin to do that, the father will love him. And then it says, we will come to him and make our abode, our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but it's the Father who sent me. See, Jesus came and laid down his life, and all he's doing is revealing what the Father told him to do. You and I are sent, and we come, and we're laying down our lives, and all we're doing is what we're called to do and sent to do. We're giving the word of God. As we obey, then the Father loves us, and then they both come and make their home with us. It's a very simple statement. But when there's no obedience, there's no keeping, there's no Word of God involved, that's why we know that these false teachers and these cults and these hirelings have nothing to do with God. Because they're teaching something that is not the Word of God. That's why you can't add books to the Word of God. You can't just add what you want. You can't just add your own ideas. Or you come up with some nonsense. And then I want you to see, and I, and I have these down so you have to get them. I go to uh, John 21. Because this is after arrest you remember during the arrest of Jesus Peter follows close behind so does John and Peter denies Jesus three times if you're reading with us you just read it, it was yesterday's reading in Mark 14 he denied Jesus three times what did he do then Greg oh he was really remorseful he went away and he said I'm going fishing he backslid all the other guys said, we're going with you. They all backslid. Why? Because it was prophesied. He will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Because Jesus said, you're all going to be made to stumble this night. Well, Peter had just said, if all betray you, I won't. I'm a tough guy. I'm not going to do it. Listen to me. So after his resurrection, what happens? They were told to go to Galilee. They're on the Sea of Galilee fishing again. Well, Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. You're supposed to leave your worldly pursuits, and now you become fishers of men. You become those who go out and share the gospel to win souls. Because that's all this is about. They're out fishing. They're in a boat. Jesus comes to them, and he says, Have you caught anything, little children? As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. And they said, uh-uh, nothing. And one of the disciples says, it's the Lord. And Peter just hits the water and gets to the bank. And they don't say anything to him, but he's cooking them a meal on the bank. But he's come to restore Peter. Because Peter denied him three times. What does he do? He's going to restore him three times. And I want you to see this because it's pretty amazing. 
Because how does God restore us? By condescending. He became flesh. He became our kinsman redeemer. He was in heaven and he came down to meet us where we're at. And in verse 21, 15, it says, So when they had eaten breakfast, remember he wants to have a meal. They've had a meal. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, Simon Bar-Jonah, do you love me more than these? Listen to me. The Father loves me. And if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. And Jesus says this to John. Do you love me more than these? Who do you think he's pointing at? The fish or the disciples? I personally believe he's pointing at the fish because Peter's backslidden and he's looking for fish and he couldn't get any. But once God got there, they got this big boatload of fish. And you have to read the text. I'm just trying to get it to you. But it doesn't, it's not clear who he's pointing at. I think it's the fish because it's the world. Do you love me more than the world? The money of the world, the fish of the world. When he was a fisherman, that's what they did to make money. Do you love me more than these? Listen to me. He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, this is what his command was, feed my lambs. See, lambs are baby sheep. They need milk, the pure milk of the word. And he's telling him, he's commissioning him as a shepherd, as an under-shepherd, to go feed my lambs if you love me more than these. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Sheep, they start to get older. Now you start discipling them. Then he said to him a third time, See, he denied him three times. He's going to commission him three times. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Listen, that's all we're called to do is to feed and tend and feed the Word of God and get them into the Word, prayer, and fellowship, that they would grow to instruct them, to lead them in the right way. He says to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will be stretched out. You will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. When he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. He was crucified upside down, by the way. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one, excuse me, who is the one who betrays you? Of course, this is talking about John, the author of this book. He doesn't give his name. He's the one leaning on up Jesus's breast and asking him the question about Judas Peter, 21, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? See, he's got his eyes on somebody else. Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Listen, here's, here's, a, here's a feeding for you. Follow Jesus, the good shepherd. But what else, Greg? Listen to instruction. In wise counsel, wage your war. God has put authority in the church, and he has called men to be pastors and teachers and evangelists, and we should listen. 
and we should find out whether he's a hireling. We should find out whether he's teaching the word of God. We should be Bereans. But here's the most important thing in this text is the words that were used that they would understand completely. Why is Peter grieved at Jesus asking him this? Does it grieve you when your wife says, do you love me? Because <laughs> I know she does. Uh, anyway, listen to me. Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo, or Peter, do you agape me? Unconditional love. See, that's what God loves us, unconditional. He'll lay his life down for us. And Peter says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. Brotherly love. He uses a different word. And Jesus says to him again, do you agape me? And Peter says, I phileo you. City of brotherly love. That's, that's Philadelphia. Phileo. I, I have brotherly love. I, I, I like you. Because I, I, he ain't there. And you know what Jesus does? You know what Jesus does the third time? This is what he's grieved about. God knows his heart. This is what he's grieved about. When God says it, when Jesus says it the third time, he says, Peter, do you phileo me? That's what grieves him. He says, yes, you know all things. You know that I do. But he wants him to agape him. But he condescended. He came down to the level of where Peter was at because he knows his heart. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. Why do we want to listen to a good shepherd? Because he knows our heart and he still loves us and laid his life down as an offering for us. Even yet, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And he comes and meets us where we're at and leads us out of what we're in. He wants to lead us out into green pastures, to the Word of God, to a life with God, to heavenly places, to still waters. He is the good shepherd. I would encourage you to love your shepherd, under-shepherd, pray for him. All of us are Peters that deny God three times, by the way. We have this esteem that we think we're this and we're that, and he has to break us and, and break us and break us and bring us to a place where we realize that there's nothing good that dwells in the flesh. There's nothing good that can happen in our own strength. And then he breaks us in our mind. and says, you have to trust in me. It's not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. That's the only way to follow God. We're spirits in a body. And we're going to get a new body. And Jesus came and offered his. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But we have to lay it down. We have to give as an offering. And as we begin to obey, the Father and the Son will come and make their home with us. The Spirit's already here. The Spirit's already in you. Now you have the entire Godhead living with you. That's pretty awesome to me. Verse 19 of John chapter 10, and we'll close. Therefore, there was a division. Therefore, there was a division, as there always is. There's always a division when you preach the gospel. There's those that believe and those that 
don't believe. There was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And remember, he's talking about the man they kicked out. Now they're divided about why did we kick him out? Who is this guy? This word is used actually in, in um, 1 Corinthians 1.10 by Paul over the division, sectarianism, the division that's in the church. He says, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name, by the power, by the authority, by the character of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, and the great shepherd, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Listen, you can't do that without the Word of God. You can't do that without the Spirit of God. You can't do that without laying down your life and being concerned about the people of God, the souls that He sent you to reconcile. There's not supposed to be division. And in every sheepfold, there should not be. But what do we do? We bite and devour and nip and look at each other and say, why did they get and why did they get and why do I get? Listen, surrender, lay down your life. The good shepherd will lead you to green pastures. The good shepherd will lead you out. The good shepherd will provide for all of your needs. It's not somebody else's fault. Our battle is of principalities and powers, a spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's not flesh and blood. Quit blaming other people for where you're at in life and start following the good shepherd. Lay it down. There's always going to be a division. There's always going to be naysayers. There's always going to be those that say no to God, like these did, blind leaders. And there's going to always be others until he takes the church home that tell people to come to know Jesus. Gnosko. And many of them said he has a demon and is mad. He has a devil, King James, and is mad. He's beside himself, moonstruck. Why do you listen to him? Why do you hear him? Others said these are not the words of one who has a demon, a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? Listen, never been anything different. Never. Either you know God or you say no to God. Either you're lifting up Jesus or you're lifting up your heel toward God. And it's your free will choice whether you want to lay it down as an offering before God. The way our plumb line, the way our Savior, the way our good shepherd is leading us to do, to lay it down. Quit pursuing this world and start to follow by the power of the Holy Spirit the good shepherd and by the way the word therefore um, why do you listen to his words it's the spoken word it's rhema it's not logos it's rhema it's a spoken word a spoken utterance it's the matter and the topic that's important and I would ask you today, listen to me, listen, just like those people that were apostate and went into bondage in Ezekiel 33, why do you come and listen to the Word of God? Why do you come and hear the rhema Word of God, the spoken Word of God, where God teaches it to do it, to obey it so that they can come and make their home with you, or to go away and do nothing? Are you here 
to be washed and cleansed and be sanctified, to do thy will, O God, to lay it down? Or are you just here because you feel like it's a religious duty? When God has this beautiful relationship of love that he wants, and he'll meet you where you're at, just be honest with him. You don't have to pretend to anybody. God already knows us, and he came and died for us. That's a beautiful, beautiful thought. And he still knows us, and he still wants to know us. K-N-O-W-S. Father, thank you for the good shepherd. We are in the wilderness, Lord. We need good grass and good water. We need your Holy Spirit, not some other spirit. We need your word, the bread of life, not something else to eat. In the midst of this crooked and perverse generation where it's perilous times, Lord, there is a reduction of strength because people do not know your word. And we're following hirelings. We're following wolves. We're following apostates. Lord, we pray. We pray, Lord, that you would be our good shepherd today. You would change our desires and give us a heart to hear your voice, to know you and to follow you and to lay it down for you. Lay everything down at your feet as a living sacrifice. Change us, Lord, into new creations for your glory for such a time as this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?